This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, hi, everybody, and thanks for joining us for our latest podcast. Uh, this has three segments for you. Um, we obviously haven't had any big raise news as of yet. Uh, some of the other teams in the A at least have been active, but I still expect that the Rays are going to make some moves uh, before the start of spring training and probably into it as well. And we'll get into that with Mark Topkin at the Tampa Bay Times in a little bit and also talk about uh, his Hall of Fame vote um, this past week. And uh, in addition to that, we've got two other segments Um, with everything going on with COVID. And we certainly hope that you're safe and healthy. Certainly spring training is going to be presented a number of challenges. And Matt Cuchero, the race bench coach, handles a lot of that in terms of the planning and the preparation and the day by day setup. So we'll chat with him a little bit about how he plans in this certain situation. And we're also going to hear from one of the race pitching prospects, who's going to his first big league spring training and obviously with COVID didn't get to pitch last year, and that's left-hander Kenny Rosenberg. So we'll hear from Hugh and Rosen, uh, Kenny Rosenberg in a little bit. Uh, but right now, time to chat with a guy who not only is getting ready for baseball season, but apparently he also is doing a little help with some Super Bowl coverage. So Mark Topkin of the Times, thanks very much for hanging out with us. Doing good, Neil. Are we going to kick this off soon? Ha, ha, ha. Yes, I see you're working on your football puns, which is great. But baseball is supposed to be around the corner. There's still a lot we don't know, but we're a few weeks now from spring training beginning. Yeah, Neil, and, and you know, certainly as we, as we talk here today, all signs are that that's going to happen on time. I mean, the MLB, MLB told the players and the team – or told the teams a couple weeks ago to prepare for it. There's a little bit of a disagreement you'll be shocked to hear between the owners and the players' union on this. The players feel – like, hey, they played last year and they want to play for full pay this year. Those are their two basic points. The owners have had some interest in a delay. It kind of makes sense. I mean, if, you know, the vaccines are going to be more readily available, if cases are eventually going to start coming down, thus fans would be more interested in going to the ballpark. So I could see why the owners would want to delay things. But certainly as of now, it seems like it's going to start on time. I mean, hopefully everyone, you know, will, will navigate this, uh, you know, not just the players too. I mean, all the staff. Uh, that are involved with these teams, all the employees, and then, you know, even the media. I mean, everyone involved with this uh, hopefully will navigate this well. But I do think we are a couple weeks from spring training. So that football game is going to end. Everybody else is going to go, oh, it's time to relax. And then those of us that have spring training coming up, we're going to be ready to get to work. Exactly. Uh, We'll hear from Matt Quichero on the podcast about, you know, how you prepare for spring training when there's still so many uncertainties. And for a lot of teams, there's really almost like a mad rush. You're seeing more transactions here in January and February than you ever would. Yeah, and and I, you know, I don't think that was unexpected, Neil. I think, you know, a lot of us coming out of last season, you know, kind of saw and heard and in talking to agents and team officials anticipated it was going to be a slow offseason. There have been some trades, obviously. The Rays certainly made one of the bigger ones with Blake Snell. But you know, here we are in, you know, heading into the final week of January. 
And there's still uh, not just some pretty good big name free agents unsigned, but a lot of kind of middle tier and lower tier guys unsigned. And, you know, rosters are pretty full. And I think this was something that was, you know, maybe anticipated, but there'll be a lot of players uh, that are, you know, legitimate major league players are going to sign minor league deals just to get to camps with teams because it's the only way they're going to get in. Teams aren't going to risk losing young guys off their 40-man roster to add a a mid-level veteran. In fact, the longer this plays out, the better I would think it is for the race, only because they've got three players they could easily put on the 60-day and move a guy who's on a minor league contract to a major league 40-man spot fairly quickly early in spring training. Yeah, I I think so, Neil, and it also could uh, work to – the Rays advantage remember uh, a couple of years ago now but when they signed Carlos Gomez after camps had already opened they were able to open a 40-man roster spot so you could see if there's some you know veterans that really wanted 40-man roster spot deals once the Rays get to camp and I believe it's that first day maybe on the 18th it starts where they can move and you're talking about the injured pitchers I mean Jalen Beeks Colin Poche Yanni Chirinos three guys that are recovering mm-hmm. from Tommy John surgery you know, very unlikely they would pitch, if at all, until the very end of the season. So they can open up three roster spots. Brendan McKay's spot could be one, too. And the Rays, I think, are going to want to take a look at him first in spring and see where he is. But they're going to have some roster spots to work with. And whether that's elevating guys who've signed minor league deals, as you said, or if there's still some guys out there, they could sign them straight to major league deals. I mean, I, I don't know how many teams do this, but you could almost come up with, you know, it's almost like a handshake deal. Hey, we have a spot for you. Um, or you could have someone just agree but not sign that major league deal until February 18th officially. Yeah, that could work. And, and even like you said, I mean, you know, last year Aaron Loop signed a minor league deal, and, you know, there was nothing written that said this, but talking to Aaron and talking to some of the Rays, you know, people last spring, I think there was pretty much an understanding there that if he was healthy, uh, he would be added to the 40-man roster, or the Rays would make a decision early enough in camp where he could go do something else. Now, obviously, you know, camp never ended. We know what happened. He was added as soon as they opened spring 2.0 pretty much. But, yeah, there's a lot of different ways the Rays can take uh, advantage of that roster flexibility they will have. And, you know, that may be something – I'm not saying they're waiting for that, but I think we've seen enough, you know, and I think you're going to get to it in a minute. They've tried to make some deals recently, haven't mm-hmm. been able to. But I do think that, you know, they also know that is an option for them as well. Yeah, and there have been reports that the Rays were in the running for Corey Kluber, that they were in the running for Jamison Tyone, that they were in the running for Joe Musgrove. And obviously it takes two to tango, and either they were outbid by prospects or outbid by the dollar amounts in some cases. Yeah, and the Corey Kluber deal, I mean, I had, you know, and reported this in the Tampa Bay Times, you know, they, they were, you know, if not third, maybe second. They were very a very strong run on Corey Kluber, and I think, you know, there was a – period during those negotiations where they thought they might be able to get him. I think it would have been a good fit. Um, you know, you, you do wonder sometimes what the motivation for some players uh, is. And, 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 you know, it, more money in New York, you would think would be offset by the tax break here in Florida. There also was a connection with Corey Kluber and that he worked out uh, with uh, Eric Cressy, which is a very you know, well-known guy runs a couple sports institutes, but he's also uh, the Yankees head uh, athletic trainer and rehab person. So, Definitely some interesting connections there. Um, as for the two trades with the Pirates, I mean, it's a new administration in Pittsburgh, but you do wonder if the Pirates might have just been a little leery of dealing with the Rays, given how that last trade went. And maybe there was a little bit of a tax on the Rays where, you know, they wanted to to get a little more. Um, 
you know, look, I don't know enough about the prospects that were given up in those deals. They didn't seem overwhelming, like an overwhelming payment. I would think the Rays, if not in quantity, certainly in quality, could have matched or surpassed those. But also, you know, you have to credit Eric Neander and his staff if they had a, you know, kind of a line drawn on what they thought the value of those pitchers were. Mm-hmm. And the demand for prospects exceeded that. And, you know, it's not money now, but it is money that those pitchers are going to earn in salary this year and in the future. You know, they weigh all that. And if they didn't think it was worth it, you know, you kind of got to admire that they have that discipline as they typically do to kind of draw the line. So based on all that, you still expect, as I do, that they're going to add pitching at some point before the beginning of spring training games. I do. I I think they're going to add a, a, you know, whether it's, you know, you want to use the phrase a veteran starter, uh, but not necessarily an older starter, but maybe better to say an experienced starter. Someone with the Rays used the phrase of, a starter with something, un, you know, some legs underneath them, you know, having had some experience. I think they're going to sign somebody or trade for somebody like that. I don't know who it is. The name I've heard throughout this has been Chris Archer, uh, not like to the point where they're waiting, you know, at least from what I understand, you know, that they haven't like had multiple offers, but they've kind of had ongoing conversations. I mean, it's an interesting fit there too, because certainly at his best, you know, when he was good, Chris Archer was a really, really good pitcher for the Rays. Uh, he's had a little bit of a rough stretch since he got traded to Pittsburgh. Then he got hurt, did not pitch at all last season. You know, would he want to come back here? Would the Rays want him back here? You know, how does that fit work on a one-year deal? You know, there'd be a lot of questions about that. But, uh, you know, I think that's kind of the guy you're talking about, somebody who has had some experience, had some success. Uh, and, you know, who it, who it ends up being at this point, I don't think we know. I think you'll see some more trades as some other teams that clearly aren't, you know, in the race and, you know, certainly we've seen Pittsburgh take a number of steps back. Mm-hmm. Oakland looks to be taking some steps back with some of the decisions they've made, you know, some teams like that who may trade some more guys away. And from your standpoint, Mark, I'm kind of curious because Toronto and New York obviously have been very busy lately. Who is the bigger threat short and long-term to the Rays and why do you think at this point, it's something I was going to answer on a blog post later in the week. Yeah. I mean, I think the Yankees are always of the immediate concern just because they're really good and whatever they keep saying about the competitive balance limits and all that, they have the resources to address whatever they need to address. If they get to camp and and somebody's hurt, they just, they'll find a way to go get another piece. Cause I think it really stung the Yankees how last season unfolded and, you know, their inability to kind of get all the way uh, to where they want to go, that, you know, championship or nothing mentality. It's been a while. So I think the Yankees are always the immediate threat. And, you know, certainly uh, the pitching staff they've built is interesting, but I think there's a lot of questions about a number of the guys they've brought in. So they could come to camp and get to Tampa thinking they've got their pitching staff figured out. And there could be two or three of those guys that can't answer uh, the bell for them, right? I, in fact, I was going to say, I, I don't know that their pitching staff is better than it was last year. I mean, you trade out Avino for Darren Day. Um, the Rays are certainly okay with not having to see Masahiro Tanaka. There's no Paxton. There's no Hap. They've replaced them with Kluver and Tyone so far, and a lot of youngsters who could get better, but we don't know. It's pitching in New York, um, and we know the history of injuries, history of both Tyone and Kluver. So there are questions as to whether they're going to be better in 2021 20, than twenty. And I think the other thing, Neil, that none of us know, and I know you have probably had more extensive conversations with Kyle Snyder, the Rays pitching coach, than I have, but, you know, he's brought this up, and it's a major concern for every team is pitchers that were normal pitchers, quote-unquote, in 2019, 
and pitched, even if they pitched on their regular turns throughout 2020, still pitched, you know, what, 50 innings, 60 innings. So a guy who was a 180 inning pitcher who pitched 50 or 60 innings, is that guy going to bounce back to be a 180 inning pitcher again this year? A team's going to let those guys do that? And, you know, you mentioned the Yankees, guys coming off injuries, you think they'd be especially careful for. So it's going to be a puzzle. I think depth is going to be more important probably than any other year uh, this year. I mean, last year it was because obviously virus uh, issues as well, and that could surface this year too with guys being sidelined who test positive. But just having the depth to cover the amount of innings, not knowing how far you can stretch guys, wanting to have guys, if you think you're going to be in the playoffs, you're going to probably take it easy with guys April, May, and June wanted to make sure they're going to have enough innings left on the meter to pitch in September and potentially October. Certainly interesting stuff. And one other bit of interesting news was the Hall of Fame voting uh, this week, which obviously you are always a part of, and you explained your vote. How surprised in the Times, and I certainly hope that people will read your explanation, how surprised were you that nobody got the 75%? I wasn't that surprised. I think Kurt Schilling, and, and look, we can debate this on a number of levels, but I think just for, for brevity here, um, you know, he's caused some of his own problems. His, his pitching on the field, he probably would have gotten in and probably would have gotten in a couple of years ago. His off-field um, commentary, things he said, the way he said them, uh, I think that's created a lot of issues for him. So I think he heard himself in the voting. We've seen him subsequently say he doesn't even want to be considered anymore and, and trash you know, us as the baseball writers. And that's fine. He's certainly welcome to say whatever he wants to say. And that's his prerogative. But there was no obvious candidate this year. Kurt Schilling was the most likely guy to get in this year. He created his own problems. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, which we've talked about before on your fine podcast here, Neil. And, and you know, there is a case to be made. They are two of the greatest players of their era. How are they not in? There's a case to be made that they were associated with PEDs. Some people don't want to ever see them even be allowed to buy a ticket to the Hall of Fame. So I think all of the leading candidates this year came with, with questions, came with stains, came with issues. And that's why nobody got in. It was the first time since 2013 we pitched a shutout as the voters of the BBWA. We elected 22 players in the previous seven years. That's the most any seven-year window. So this wasn't a small hall or a protest or anything like that. This was legitimate questions about all the leading candidates. And obviously next year, the questions are going to continue because A-Rod is eligible. So that's certainly going to make for... J-Lo, for, Mr. J-Lo, is that what you said? I said A-Rod. Uh, and that will make for interesting fodder. Um, of, of the candidates you voted for, who was the toughest one to put on your ballot and who was the toughest one? I hope people will read your column. Who is the toughest one to not put on your ballot that you came close to doing so? Yeah, I, um, you know, I only voted for five this year, which is the fewest I've ever voted for in all the years I've done this, which even kind of surprised me. And, you know, we vote, the ballot has to be uh, in the mail. We still mail them, by the way, postmarked by December 31st. <laughs> and when I you know, had it back out writing my column last week, I actually was like, oh, I thought I voted for six or seven. And I went back and, you know, I, I was to take a picture of it and it was only five and you know, Billy Wagner is a guy that a couple of years ago I thought really deserved uh, the support for the Hall of Fame and gave him my vote. It's not he not doesn't get a lot of support from others, but that's probably the one guy that's a little, you know, when I try to defend that. I mean, Scott Rowland, I was kind of convinced on a few years ago. I've been a Gary Sheffield supporter the whole time. I vote for Bonds and Clemens. I draw. I think I said to you before, I kind of have a squiggly line. I'm not saying it's right, but it's the line I draw that whatever they did was before. Uh, steroids and PEDs were 
officially illegal by MLB before MLB was doing testing. They both were really good before people suspected them of doing anything. I'm just not smart enough to know how much of their success was of their own and how much of their success was PED and, and where you draw that line. So I've been okay with voting for them, been okay with Sheffield. Roland, I kind of came around on, but Wagner's the guy that, you know, I, I, I vote for him, but I'm still like, you know, I don't think he's going to get in. I, I can see why people don't vote for him. I, I have a soft spot for relievers. I've been, you know, I voted for Lee Smith, Suter, all those guys I think, you know, deserve, even though they don't have the workload of others, the importance of what they do and the significance in the current game is pretty big of a deal as far as you know leaving off i mean i've given a little more look just like i came around on roland and my wife kids me all the time i caved in on edgar martinez in his final year uh so i've given a little bit more look to helen to andrew jones a couple guys like that i just i'm not there yet and people ask how can you change they haven't played their stats lines don't change but you know, this is a great era of information you know there's so many more ways to look at what these guys did. And, and, you know, I don't even understand, I'll be honest, all the, the acronyms we have for some of the advanced stats. But, you know, if you just take the time and put the effort in and, and keep your mind open, you have a different appreciation. You know, I mean, Larry Walker got in. That was a guy a lot of people didn't think would get in because of the home road and course field and all that. But people got a better understanding of what he did and, and where he played and, and where else he played besides course field and his accomplishments. And I think Todd Helton could eventually benefit from that as well. Indeed. Uh, and, and again, I hope that people go check out and read your stuff on the, on the Hall of Fame. And uh, uh, it certainly was uh, an interesting part of this week's storyline. Mark, we appreciate some minutes. Uh, stay safe through kickoff, and we'll hopefully see you to kickoff spring training. Yeah. I, who do you think would be the better pitcher, Brady or Mahomes? Ooh, uh, I go with the younger guy because he's probably got more velo, and velo is needed this time of right now and he's got the bloodlines his dad was a pitcher in the big leagues too i think you're right but tom brady was drafted as a catcher you knew that yes i did i did he was not on the top prospect list so like like some of the race are. i don't think so we missed on that one baseball missed on that one we certainly appreciate the time of one more topkin of the tampa bay times and we shift gears uh staying with the rays but moving on to spring training which is not very far away and a guy who does a lot of the planning and preparation for it is also the bench coach of the rays and that's Matt Coutreau and Q, thanks very much for being with us. Give us an idea of how, how challenging things are with still a, a fair amount in flux. Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of uncertainties. Um, luckily, we have a really good team of guys working on it, you know, with strength and conditioning, medical, the field staff, everybody's putting their heads together, uh, clubhouse staff, everybody's trying to uh, help out and get as many ideas out there. We have a little bit to go on from how we ran 2.0 last summer. Um, you know, obviously this should be easier in some respects because we have more space, uh, more fields, more locker room space, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we have double, if not more, the number of personnel, um, uh, staff included. So there's there's logistical things that are difficult to coordinate, but you know, with everybody's help, we'll, we'll get it together. Um, you know, it's, it would be a lot easier if, like everything in this pandemic, if every, if that was gone, everybody would just be able to do things the way we've always done them um, and make a few tweaks here and there. But, but uh, we'll, we'll get through this and we'll, we'll uh, get the guys as prepared as possible for the season. Q, tell us, what did you learn in spring training 2.0 or summer camp or whatever you want to call it that can help you maybe in spring training this year, assuming it starts on time? 
Well, I think the biggest thing we learned is how adaptable our guys are and how, and how much they, they were willing to um, make changes to their routines, um, understanding that it's all, in the, all in, the, uh, in the best interest of everyone's health and safety. So our guys were great about it. That was the first thing that came to mind. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, we, we have to be flexible. Like I'm, I'm somebody that would ideally like to have a week or so of spring training roughly mapped out, but uh, we've learned that we really have to be able to adjust day to day or even hour to hour while we're out on the field. So um, we're really trying to get a day or so going at a time, maybe two days early on um, to but we have to be ready to adjust day by day. Um, so those are a couple things that stand out. The other thing is we're, we're able to do things in tight spaces in tight timeframes. And, and that was re that was reassuring to know that, you know, we can pull it off. Um, and, and we will. How much does it also help that the coaching staff is all back, that the medical staff is all back, that you've got familiarity with one another. So while you don't know quite what you're dealing with yet a hundred percent, you at least have a group of people that know each other well and work together well. Oh yeah, that's that's enormous. And you know, I'm I'm the one that puts this on paper, but I'm only the one that takes all the information for what everybody wants to accomplish and where they, how they want things to go. And and in these days, ninety percent of what I get to put down on paper is driven by the medical and and health and safety protocols, and then just fitting in the baseball around all of that. Um, you know, and, and like most people understand that spring training, especially the early part of it is, is a hundred percent based on getting the pitchers what they need. Um, and so Kyle is unbelievable at mapping things out and keeping me informed so I can just plug and place the, the guys where he has them and, and we go from there. So that familiarity is big. I, you know, this would be a very difficult job if, if, uh, if everybody was new or not used to what we're doing. And, you know, we're going to run into some of that because, you know, only about half of us went through the true 2.0 that was at the TROP. The other guys went through it at the ATS. They had more room and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, everybody, we'll all be learning from each other. Uh, but overall, I think it's a, a huge benefit to have everybody back. This spring training should be of a normal length. So how much do you think that also will help in preparing guys physically for a long season? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, that shortened ramp up last year after being shut down, um, that would be, that was tough, you know, especially on the pitchers. And, you know, we saw the injuries that took place, you know, they're probably not all attributable to that, but I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, as far as this hopefully normal length, getting ready for a season, you know, the guys know what they have to do. And, you know, I've already spoken with some of them. They, you know, they know they're, they're coming into this in their normal shape that they would be getting ready for a regular season if there was no pandemic. And we don't know exactly where guys were coming into 2.0 because everybody was off on their own and kind of locked down and, you know, it was such a, such an unknown. The other thing that I think is interesting from what I've read is that numbers may be smaller this year in terms of players in camp for each team. So how does that impact potential game activities since you don't want to overwork players going into the regular season? Well, I mean, I think as of now, we're still going to be in that 65 player range um, because you're going to have the major league team and the AAA team, uh, essentially. I mean, there could be some other guys that aren't AAA 
players that need to be there as support. But I think we're going to be in a similar size as, as we have been before. I think the difference is going to be there will be no minor league games going on through March, um, in which cases, you know, we've been able to get guys extra at-bats or we've had a full complement of minor league players there to come as backups. So the bigger challenge is going to be towards the end of spring training, getting a major league team and a triple-A team both ready to play, assuming triple-A starts on time, getting them both ready to play with only one game each day. You know, so that that'll be a challenge um, as far as keeping our guys fresh and, you know, not burning them out. That that won't be as big a challenge um, because we'll, we'll still have a full complement of bodies there. What's your excitement level going into the season? I know a lot of fans are focused on the Blake trade and, and Charlie Morton departing, but you've got almost the entire position player group back from a World Series team. Well, that's true. Um, we I'm excited. I mean, we, we think. You know, we put so much trust and faith in, in Eric and Pete and the front office guys to, to get good players. And, you know, it's one of those things that's been going on here for, for years that the, the, the names might not be familiar, but the quality of the players is consistent. You know, we have good players on both sides of the ball. You can never have enough good pitching, um, you know, so I'm sure – you know, trading Blake and Charlie, those are guys that you don't just find somebody to just plug in and, and they're, they're just as good. But we're, you know, through depth and, um, you know, quality of the, the guys we have, I think we're going to be just as strong um, in the long run. And it just might take people some time to get used to the new names that, that take the place of those guys they were familiar with. But, yeah, like you said, from the position player side, everybody's back, you know, except for Renfro and Perez and, and hopefully the guys that we've brought in in their place are ready to step up and, and, and fill those voids. From a fan perspective, many are interested in, in what a full year of Randy Rosarena could look like, a healthy Austin Meadows, and also the number of players at the alternate site last year that could help this season at some point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean a full year of Randy is exciting for everybody. Um, you know, and a full year for all these guys is exciting for all of us because, you know, the guys – played 60 games and 20 in the postseason, and that's half a season, you know, and we, our team has always been built for the long haul um, and with, through our depth, both position and pitching wise, we're built for the 162 games. Now we had a great 60 game regular season last year, um, but I think we would have been even more confident in our ability to, to make the playoffs and have a deep run if had we had to play 162 and that challenges other teams depth um, as well so I think I think we're all excited to see all our guys for for the full length you know Willie and Brandon and Yandi all those guys you know just get them out there and 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 let them do their thing over that long haul and we're confident that we're going to be better in the end than than some other teams with less depth good stuff Q we hope everything goes smoothly between now and the start of the season and we certainly appreciate some time as you get ready for spring training. All right, Neil. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys uh, hope to see you guys down there soon. Really good information from one uh, Matt Cuchero, and certainly great to have him on the podcast, as well as our next guest, who we know is going to spring training, and we certainly hope hope that uh, things start on time. And that's Kenny Rosenberg, who's going to be a non-roster invite for the very first time. And Kenny, thanks very much for being on the podcast. Tell me a little bit about uh, what it means to get your first big league spring training invite, especially in context since 
you didn't get to play last year. Yeah, I mean, first off, um, thanks for having me on. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a obviously it's a great honor um, for any team, um, but especially uh, you know a team coming off a World Series run. Um, obviously, I've been in the organization, like you said, since 2016. <laughs> it feels like forever, but. Um, no, I mean it's uh it's it's good feeling, you know. It's a great group of guys. I, I know a fair amount of them, so I'm definitely excited to to get to work. How did you uh, get the news, and and who did you hear from? Uh, Jeff McLaren was the one who gave me the phone call. Um, I had been kind of in contact with, um, you know, doing our like weekly checkups with uh, the AAA staff, Rick Knapp, and he was kind of telling me that they weren't sure and that you know, I kind of just needed to be ready for the earliest possible date, which is typically how I approach my spring or my off seasons anyways, to prepare for a big league camp, even if that's not the case. So I was just trying to be ready for the earliest date they needed me. And, um, yeah, I got that call a few weeks ago. Um, so I was right on schedule. Did it mean much more to you because of all you had to deal with last year? I mean, you and so many others didn't even get to play last year. Yeah, I think it definitely did. I mean, um, you know, I was definitely coming off of 2019 when I was in Montgomery. Um, you know, I was I, I was hoping to be added to the 40-man. Obviously, it's a very, very talented roster that we have. So I understood that there's some tough decisions that need to be made. But I was hoping to be on that roster. It wasn't. And then I was hoping to be invited to camp. It wasn't. And then I was hoping to be on the 60-man taxi. It wasn't. So... You know, I've, I've kind of had this approach where, you know, I just kind of can control what I can. And, um, you know, those roster decisions, I don't have any say in. So all I can do is just pre- be prepared when um, the opportunity arises. And so that's just what I've been doing. So to make the most out of it, how do you get better? Because obviously that's your goal when you go through a period like this. You're not pitching in games. Where did you work out? What types of things do you do? did you do? And how do you think you're better than you were, let's say, in – your 2019 season. Yeah. So first of all, it's really hard uh, because you don't really have like a concrete result to go off of. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. have like success or failure between the lines, right? I don't have any RA per se or any of that. All I have is the work, right? Like being in the gym on a consistent basis, um, understanding pitch design and what I'm trying to do with my stuff and um, looking at my, mechanics analytically and trying to figure out which kind of movement deficiencies I can clean up. Um, And those are really the only things that I, um, as I mentioned before, had control over. So um, that was really where my focus went was, was to uh, the quality of my pitches. And, you know, I, I pride myself on being able to have a pretty good feel for the baseball and understand what I'm trying to do with it. And um, yeah, cleaning things up, you know, a spin efficiency and uh, axis and um, working on a curveball um, to, to complement, you know, my other offerings and, um, you know, cleaning up some of my uh, lower half mechanics and just trying to move a little bit better down the mound, be a little bit more efficient so I can uh, transfer that power and really maximize uh, what I have. So for fans who don't know, you pitched almost 140 innings in the 2019 season, the majority of it for AA Montgomery, and, and that was your most. Um, mm-hmm. What was your stuff like then? Could you give a description for a fan who hadn't seen you pitch? And 
maybe how you think things are different, either velocity-wise or tilt-wise or spin-wise, things of that nature? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, 2019, I was probably, I think I, I got up to like 94 early in the year, uh, but I, I was working 88 to 91. Um, typically for me, if I'm, if I'm having a real, if I was feeling really good, I'd, you know, maybe be, pop a couple 92s, but, um, a lot of change-ups. that's like my bread and butter. Um, it still is, you know, even though I have a little bit of added velocity, it's, it's a pitch for me that is just an equalizer. So, um, definitely see a lot of change-ups, not afraid to throw it in any count on two Oh three, one, whatever. Um, and that certainly gives me an edge. Um, especially if I'm not throwing 99. And then um, I would say the biggest change for me has been um, kind of revamping my curveball. When I was in high school, I was, I didn't really need to throw changeups, you know, 86 from the left side, got it mm. done. So I, I didn't need to throw a lot of those. Um, so I was mostly fastball curveball. And then as I kind of worked my way through the minors, I started getting less and less swings and misses, um, especially late in the count. Um, with my breaking balls. So, um, and you can see it in my numbers, 2017, I was striking out like 10 per nine or something like that. And then 2018 in high got a little bit worse. And then most recently 2019 in Montgomery, I wasn't even at not, uh, one per inning. And I, th I think, you know, we talked to, talked to uh, Winston Doom that um, works in our uh, analytics. I'm not sure his exact title, but we were, we were talking about throwing more sliders late in the count. And that worked, but I didn't have a curveball really to complement it. So I was just, my stuff was just kind of stuck in this like rut where it was just kind of like average. Mm -hmm. um, so the addition of the curveball for me, I'm throwing a spike curve now. Um, I spin it way cleaner. Um, talking about some of that efficiency, right? So just a, a what we call useful spin um, is is much much higher so it's it's become a really really great pitch for me but like i said i haven't been able to throw it in competitive games so i i don't really know how it's going to translate but i know at a minimum that it's significantly it's a significantly better pitch than when i last played in a game so i'm excited to see what i can do with it and is the velocity ticked up too or would you kind of still compare yourself i mean you talk about your stuff and i'm trying to visualize it it yeah. sounds very Fleming-esque, Yarborough-esque. Is that, I, I don't know it's, if that's right or wrong. I'm diff yeah, I mean, I, I would say like on paper, the, the velocities might be somewhat similar. Again, um, you know, over the summer, I was actually working 90-92 up to 94 hmm. um, this past year. And um, I'm not really sure how it's going to translate. You know, obviously all the work that I put in the off season, I'm extremely confident in. So I'd like to think that I'd be in that range, if not even get a little bump. Um, but I, I throw all four seams. So it's very different from those two guys. Those yep. guys, both two seam cutter change up, show a curveball, and their curveballs are more sweepy. Whereas um, I, I have the ability to work up and down um, fastballs up in the zone, curveballs down. I don't want to compare myself to him, but it's more of a Blake Snell um, movement profile, if you would. Whereas four seams up, curveballs down, um, you know, with a smaller, tighter slider. Um, and obviously, I throw a lot more changeups than Blake ever did. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a different uh, movement profile than those guys for sure.
And definitely a different look, it sounds like, too. Much more top-bottom than side-to-side -side in terms of the action you're getting, for the most part, at least with the fastball change of combination. How much... Yeah, I typically... I was just going to say, I typically don't get that very many ground balls, um, especially not compared to those guys either. So did you, you work out at, at Cressy Performance? Um, I had heard in a previous interview, and how much did that help? And how much work did you do there? And who'd you work out with? Yeah, no, it's first of all, those guys are amazing. Um, top to bottom, the staff, not just Eric, you know, who's kind of the face, but, you know, even his wife, Anna, does a ton of stuff on the administrative side, scheduling. Um, she's a stud. Um, and all the staff, um, my personal coach who programs me, his name's Tim Jeremini. I hope I didn't screw that up, Tim. <laughs> um, but uh, the whole staff, like I said, just an awesome group and they were able to do everything they could to stay open over the summer and be as safe as we could and um, provide the opportunity for the pro guys in the area to continue to get their work in. Um, but typically in the off season, I train remotely. I live in California. They send me a program. They have this whole video database that I can go access to make sure that I'm um, doing the right, um, that I'm doing the moves right. Um, whatever mental cues, I can go back and watch those videos if I'm struggling with a move. Um, or lift or what have you. Um, so it's a really, it's a really comprehensive program. Um, and, uh, I started that after the 2018 year, I just felt like something had to change. I, I didn't have a good year. I wasn't moving very well. My stuff was just kind of plateauing and I felt like I needed to change. And so I just went with who was considered the best in the business at, um, training pitchers basically. Um, and then I, I'd also like to give a shout out to Mark and Mark Lowy and Brian Kaplan, they, those guys work um, specifically on the pitching side of things over there. Hmm. Um, they were also extremely helpful to me over the summer and, and scheduling bullpens and making sure we had guys, um, you know, our bullpen catchers there too, uh, Brian and Carl. I mean, there's so many, there's so many guys um, there that just do so much work to, to help the group and uh, not to mention Guys like Scherzer, Verlander, Syndergaard, um, yeah, Jesus Lizardo, all these just, you know, stud arms who go in there to train and um, just creates for this really, really incredible and unique environment to uh, to improve. I can imagine. And obviously part of the reason that you're there versus remote is because of COVID. How's your family? How have you kind of handled all this? Yeah, so um, I guess um, – we're very fortunate that we were able to um, see our family this off season and get through the holidays and, you know, do it all safely. And um, nobody was, you know, uh, nobody got sick or anything like that. So, um, but as far as being away that whole summer and um, we went through some, uh, my fiance, Christy and I, uh, we have a small three-legged now Papillon mm. um, named, named Stella who was hit by a car over the summer. Wow. So, in the midst of all the pandemic and um, trying to stay prepared, she spent three weeks in the hospital down here in Fort Lauderdale, right? So we're not in California. Our families are back West and um, you know, it was a really, really trying time, not just for us, but for our families because they were, you know, there's nothing they could do to help except for just, um, you know, pray basically. So, and thank God for the outcome. You know, she's, she's great. She's completely healthy, you know, minus a leg. Um, and I know it sounds like horrible and, you know, I'm sure it was, I, I can attest to it, but, um, you know, that 
those kind of things that happen in life, you know, especially, like I said, in the midst of COVID where so many people are feeling so much hurt and there's so many um, things that really test your mettle. Um, you know, I, I'm really, really thankful for both Christy and my families for um, supporting us through that time. I mean, yeah, that's uh, really, really tough for everybody, but um, especially when you have something like that go down. So. And you had begun the year so positively. What, February, you got engaged to, to Christy, and I would imagine yeah. being out of, you know, being not able to play in games. She's a former Division One athlete at Northridge, right? So I would imagine yep. her being around had to help somewhat that she could understand maybe, you know, what, how difficult that was for you. Definitely. I'm super thankful for her as well. I mean, um, she's been with me since before I was drafted and she's been through, we did long distance for a few years. And then actually last year was going to be the first year that she was able to travel with me. She works remotely now. So um, it's a crazy year for sure. We got engaged at the end of January and then um, went to camp, got shut down, went to Florida, you know, the accident happened and then we go back to California and, you know, just kind of regrouping um, and now preparing for a, for a, um, hopefully a season and uh, a wedding in November. So it's definitely been, um, it, a lot of people say the word crazy. I feel like that doesn't really sum it up quite well enough. Um, but for lack of a better word, I mean, it really has been insane. Um, but we're very thankful, you know, for our health and the health of our loved ones uh, over everything. It's, um, that's what's most important. You know, you mentioned your fiance, the two of you again, were, were uh, at Northridge. There's another guy who is at Northridge who's in the race system. Do you have any good dirt on Joe Ryan and how close is the friendship between the two of you? Yeah, we. so it actually goes further back than that. Joe and I play, played in the same high school conference. He was a year younger than me at Drake High School. I went to Tamil Pies High School up in Marin County. And his junior year, my senior year, he won pitcher of the year. So, I mean, he was an absolute stud. He threw like six complete games or something like that that year and um obviously deserved the, the award but so i didn't really know him that well but um sure enough i went to i walked on at northridge the next year he comes on a visit and i'm like trying to get a feel for him you know still not still the jury's kind of out you know and uh he ends up coming to campus the following year he had some eligibility issues based on some of the classes he took in high school so he had to sit out most of the fall I believe that would have been 2014 fall. Um, and so I actually got to know him really well because heading into that year, he was ineligible and I had some injuries in one of my rehab. Um, I had a lower back injury and one of my rehab for it, I was only able to do cardio in the pool and I sucked at swimming <laughs> and Joe, Joe is a fish. Yep. So Joe kind of took me, under his flipper we'll say and uh kind of taught me how to not swim per se but swim efficiently you know with the breathing and all that and that 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 made us pretty close and we have been really good friends since and obviously when he was drafted in 2018 and I got that phone call I was just like of course it's the race you know like you just this guy's just gonna follow me around everywhere and then sure enough 2019 end of the year I'm in Montgomery and um you know, Joe comes up and, you know, at this point, um, you know, we do have, like I said, a, a great friendship. So I'm always excited to see him. But there was a while there where I was like, this guy's just never going to leave me alone. 
Well, hopefully the two of you uh, will cross paths again, and and hopefully you can swim all the way up to the big leagues. Uh, this yeah. Year. Um, yep. Obviously, that's the, the plan and the goal. Um, we wish you a lot of luck going forward. Uh, we look forward to seeing you on the mound and, you know, getting to pitching games. I'm sure this season it would be a, a, you know, a, a really good step in the right direction. Definitely. Looking forward to it. That's Kenny Rosenberg, and we certainly appreciate his time. Mark Topkin of the Times, race bench coach Matt Cutrero. Uh, really appreciate our guests, and thank you for listening to our podcast today. Uh, we've got a number of posts on our blog, raiseradio.moblogs.com. We'll continue to do so as news develops and continue to have podcasts each week um, all the way up uh, through spring training and into the regular season. So uh, stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, continue to stay safe and healthy. And we'll chat with you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.